Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Laura Gassner-Odding, an entrepreneur and activist. She helped create AmeriCorps and a former White House appointee. Her couple of decades of broad experience and introspection about life have led her to a new role of author. Laura joins us to discuss her new book, Limitless. Laura Gassner-Odding, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited too, because I just am so always intrigued by ways that we can affect our personal growth and ways of looking at it and learning. And goodness, with Limitless, how to ignore everybody, carve your own path and live your best life, you're really giving us a a great new perspective. Well, it's a pretty catchy title, huh? It is, <laughs> yes. The original book was going to be something like The Non-Obvious Guide to Purpose, How to Do Work That Matters. And um, the, it's interesting because as it was beginning, it was supposed to be this guidebook. And guidebooks have this format of you know, chapter one, problem, solution, chapter two, problem, solution, chapter three, problem, solution. And as I was writing it, I called the publisher who had asked me to do it. And I said, you know, it's just not working. This idea of purpose, of meaning, of alignment, of consonance it's bigger, and I can't just give people easy solutions in that format. I need to, to help them understand why we've gotten it wrong, why we keep getting it wrong. And then the solutions are pretty easy, but it takes a little time to unravel why we're stuck in the first place. And so um, he said he agreed, and we weren't going to publish that book. And I thought, oh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I'm, I'm, already writing, I'm already writing that book. And so I called a friend of mine, and he asked me, he goes, what do you want people to feel like once they've read the book? And we spent about 45 minutes going back and forth about it. And finally he said, so you want them to be limitless? You want them to carve their own path? You don't want them to ignore everybody, carve their own path, and live their best life? And I said, yes. And he goes, that's the title of your book. And I said, I love you, and we don't talk enough, and I want to spend more time on the phone with you, but I need to hang up the phone right now and go write that book. And did it then just basically flow from you? It fell out of me in about four weeks. Um, uh, at 40,000 words, just poured out of my soul because – that conversation, you know, it's sort of this meta thing, right? I was limited in the book because I was trying to do things the way the format told me. And then once I ignored that and started to carve my own path about the book I really wanted to write, it really came out of me with such fire and fury that the energy, the cadence, the tone of the book completely changed in that moment. And I sent around early drafts of that book once it was done. And I had people say things to me, really very different people, you know, African-American millennials that work in the nonprofit space. Um, I had, you know, a, a guy who did the, the sound uh, editing for the audiobook who's just like thrash metalhead guitarist. I mean, I've had, you know, unbelievably wide-ranging people say, I really needed to hear this. I feel like you wrote this book just for me. And, I mean, honestly, that's kind of amazing feedback, but I think it comes from the fact that this book was so in consonance with who I am and really needed, like, it's just, it was so purely my message based on 25 years of a career of seeing this and learning these lessons. And so um, I did write that book and it really changed the energy and it really made it a pretty fun experience. And it really does demonstrate then exactly what you're talking about, the way that you experienced it goes hand in hand. It has consonance. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's the most amazing thing because I tried to do something the way other people told me it was supposed to be done. I tried to, you know, fill in the right check boxes and write the, you know, chapter one problem solution, chapter two problem solution, and it just wasn't working. It, they were my words, but it wasn't my style, and so I couldn't be 100% of who I am, and I couldn't bring everything that I was to that book. And then when the title changed, it absolutely became the book that was me, and the publisher, uh, you know, put together this incredibly beautiful cover that had, you know, it's a combination of sort of energy and power and grace and, you know, the, the sort of in-your-face kind of subtitle. And when I saw the cover art, I actually said to the publisher, I want to go back and I just need to edit it one more time because I actually want to go back and make sure that the book is worthy of this beautiful cover. Um, and so the whole thing really came together as something that I'm just so proud of because it really does carry a message that I care so deeply about bringing to the world. And here you are with us this morning, bringing us the message, getting us all revved up and excited about the potential of what we are then able to accomplish in our own lives. Like probably a majority of people are kind of feeling stuck or thwarted or just out of harmony in what's going on. You know, I spent 25 years interviewing people. I ran an executive search firm that worked specifically in the nonprofit sector, you know, people that had, you know, mission drive and, and purpose and meaning and all of this. And I was constantly surprised. So I'm the CEO of this firm. And by the time people get to me, they've been vetted by my staff. So they're, they're pretty much successful, right? They're successful and they, they, they're accomplished and they're at the top of their game. And I was really interested in the fact that even though they were successful, they weren't always necessarily happy. I mean, there they were sitting in front of me because they wanted a new job, right? So the job wasn't, you know, they, they weren't being fulfilled by their career in a way where they really felt satisfied and happy and in a good place. And I was sort of struggling with that for a while when I was starting my, my career that I didn't see that. And there was a moment when I realized, well, I'm sort of in the same place, right? Like I did all the same stuff. I got the right job. I went to the right college. I got the right internship. I got the right job. I did all the right things. I leaned in, right? I, like I was all things to all people. And I took that view of, you know, you have to say yes to everything and put yourself right in the, in the deal flow and say, uh, you know, grab every opportunity so that it pays dividends in your career you know, going forward. And I'd gotten myself to that corner office and I sort of looked around and I went, well, I'm successful, but I'm actually not that happy either. And I realized that it was because I, I didn't feel like I was able to manifest my values in the work that I was doing. I didn't feel like I could bring all of myself to the clients when I was working in this big firm dictated by other people. You know, I was sitting on one side of the table with my clients on the other side of the table. They were curing cancer. They were fighting for LGBTQ rights. They were working to ensure that the environment, uh, you know, was safe. And in my head, I was on the same side of the table as them. We were all in the good fight together. But in reality, I was on an opposite side of the table with the profit and loss statement of the big firm in, in between us. And my clients were defining success as saving the world, whereas my boss was defining success as making sure that the profit and loss statement looked pretty good. And I felt stuck by that. I felt limited by that. And so I launched my own firm. And I built my own business with the idea that I wanted to do it the way that made sense to me in a way that actually was better for my clients and actually worked in the life that I wanted to build. And it was through the building of my own firm and then the running of that firm for 15 years that I really developed this framework of consonants and what it takes for us to really bring everything we are to the work that we do, the who, what, you know, so that the what we do matches the who we are. 
And I'm sure that many of us, if not, I hope all of us resonate with that. That that is what we are looking for. And what's interesting, as you tell the stories, uh, share stories in this book, Limitless, it goes across all generations. We might think, oh, it just fits my generation. But no, it's really intriguing to see how with the younger generations, it's really, really strong with them. Yeah, it's fascinating, right? Um, yes. So by 2025, millennials will make up 75% of the U.S. workforce. And I was just talking to somebody last month who works at Accenture in their um, global human resources department, and she said, well, it's 2019, and they already make up 75% of our workforce. So, you know, the youngest millennials, 37, 38 years old. So, you know, they're in the workforce, right? They're, they're here. They exist. And millennials are forcing this conversation about purpose in a way that's never been had before. They really want to, to be who they are at work and be who they want at home. They want to be the same person in both places, and they want to feel like the work that they do matters. And it's not just the millennials. You know, we have the baby boomers who are retiring at you know, 10000 a day, and these are the ones who come from you know, 1960s social justice, and they're the children of RFK and JFK and MLK, and they're, just, they're searching for one last encore that really matters to them. And then, of course, my generation – the millennials, you know, try as everyone, everyone might to forget us. We will not be forgotten. And, you know, we're stuck in between raising children and nursing aging parents. And we really want to contribute to something that really matters. We have so many pressures on us and so many different competing priorities that if we're going to, the work that we're doing has to actually make a difference because otherwise it's just a treadmill. And so it's really across every generation that we're seeing this. And it, you know, there's sort of this zeitgeist moment where, you know, the New York Times magazine a couple of weeks ago had a, had a magazine about, you know, what makes a good job good. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, in every generation in all sorts of different publications and podcasts and TV shows, this idea of purpose that really matters. And so I think it's a wonderful conversation to be having. I want to make sure that people are not defining purpose only as this like big lofty, you have to save the world purpose, but the purpose that matters to us individually. Exactly. And to really get right into it so that it isn't something outside of us. What's really so great about Limitless is seeing how our whole self has to be integrated between our work and our life outside of work, where those two are in harmony. I think that's such a strong message that you are sharing with us. Well, I think that, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about being busy, right? And this sort of idea of, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, we're so busy. And I think we all know that being busy, it's kind of bull, right? Like we can decide whether or not we're busy with the things that we want to be busy with. If you're too busy for something, it's probably because it doesn't matter that much to you. The things that really matter are the things that we make time for. But this whole culture of busyness as a martyrdom badge, I think we all know about it, right? We all know that it's kind of silly. But I think that it's not the busy, which is the thing that exhausts us. I think it's the time in between the busy that exhausts us. It's the code switching constantly between the person that you are in one place and the person that you are at another. I mean, think, think about the things that you do in your community or in your family, maybe a PTA meeting, maybe something you do at your place of worship, maybe um, a nonprofit that you're involved in. And there are great ideas that come up every single day in those places. And now imagine if you couldn't bring those great ideas to your work 
or vice versa. So, you know, you have to come into work at 10 a.m. on a Friday because you had to go to a PTA meeting in the morning, and maybe there was a great idea which can actually unlock a problem that you've been struggling with at work. If you can't talk to people about where that idea came from and the reason why you were late because you have to hide that because you can't, you know, be a parent, at work, then that's exhausting. That takes a ton of energy from us. And so I want people to throw out this idea of work-life balance and really think about work-life alignment. Yes, absolutely. And so to accomplish that, you really list it for us or break it out with stories to support that as to four elements that are going to really trigger for us and we can identify with and, and really work with. Yes. So what I saw throughout my career was that at different ages and at different life stages, people want and need different things that will put them in consonance, that will give them this feeling of sort of frictionless momentum of belonging. And it's going to be different for everybody. It's going to be different for you today. It's going to be different than it is going to be for you 10 years from now than it was for you 10 years ago. And these four elements are calling, connection, contribution, and control. So calling is this, it's this gravitational force to to a goal that's larger than yourself. And we get calling wrong because we think it has to be, you know, this save the world sort of calling. And it can be, it can be, your calling can be, uh, you know, teaching children to read or feeding the hungry, but it doesn't have to be. It can also be a leader who inspires you. It can be a bottom line that you want to build. Uh, It can be a family that you want to create. Um, It can be getting out of debt for the first time in generations. It can be, if you're an entrepreneur, the business that you want to build. It just has to be something that speaks to you, this thing that's larger than you that that makes you want to get out of bed and attack it every day because you can't be insatiably hungry for someone else's goals. It's got to be the thing that you really want. So that's the first thing. The second is connection. And connection really gives you sight lines into how your everyday work serves that calling by solving a problem at hand, by growing the company's bottom line, by reaching the goal. It answers the question of, if I called in sick to work tomorrow, if I didn't get out of bed tomorrow, would anybody notice? Does my work actually matter? It's when you think about what your big giant goals are and you look at your calendar and you say, do they match? Am I doing the work that's actually putting me one step closer to getting to those goals? The third element is contribution. So while connection is all about the work, contribution is really all about how this job, this brand, this paycheck, the way that you spend your time contributes to the community that you want to belong, to the person you want to be, to the family that you want to create, to the lifestyle that you want to live. Is the job paying you in money, in flexibility, in brand prestige, in something that's going to help you get closer to serving that calling? And then the last thing is control. And control really reflects how much you personally are able to influence your connection to that calling through, say, you know, the assignment of projects, deadlines, colleagues, clients, or maybe offering input into shared goals. It reflects how much you can control, how much the work contributes to you in terms of um, your career trajectory, in terms of your earnings, um, in terms of you having personal agency to be able to do the work with the people that matter so that you can get closer to those goals. And as I mentioned, each of us will want and need these things very differently at, at different points in our life. And I think part of the reason why we get it wrong is because we set it in stone very early on, and we think that's who we are. And anytime that doesn't feel right, we think maybe we're failing. 
And so here, again, the stories that you share, I think, are going to help guide us, even though it's not as such a guidebook. But by reading the stories, we're going to find ourselves, I think, really connecting in some way and finding that pathway and finding the way that we can go forward. Yet throughout the book, I talk about different people who have made very specific moves in their life to either add more or, or change what they're doing so that they could feel much more centered in their calling, their connection, their contribution, and their control. And the book actually starts off with one of my favorite stories, which is Josh Mance, who was actually shot and killed in Iraq. And he was dead for 15 minutes, for a full 15 minutes flatlined. It was, you know, they continue to work on him long past the seven minutes when they're supposed to you know, call time of death. And he came back to life miraculously, and even more miraculously with his entire brain intact. And he was forced to figure out why. And as I was interviewing people for the book, every story had something where someone could say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, you have this, he has that, I'm not here. And I, I needed a story that was sort of a showstopper story. And I'd met Josh when he and I were both speaking at an army base in Japan. And there were like six speakers. And the, uh, the guy who was organizing it was telling me the different people who were speaking. There was me. There was a, a woman veteran who works on homelessness issues. There was the CEO of Starbucks Japan. And there was Josh. And I was like, I'm happy to go in any order you want, but just please don't put me after the dead guy. I can't follow <laughs> the dead guy. That's going to be way too hard. Um, so he smartly put Josh last. And at the end of Josh's talk, I went up to him, like, I need to know you. I need to hear the story more. So I called him up when I was writing the book, and I said, you have an unimpeachable story. You are the luckiest guy on earth, and yet you still struggle to figure out what your meaning was, what your purpose was, why you were here. And so his story, I think, helps people realize that we're all going through this, and if Josh can figure it out, we can all figure it out. And I think what we could also learn from that is, you know, it wasn't an instantaneous, like, aha, this is what I'm doing, that there was still a process and investigations and trying different things that finally came to where he wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I joke around in the book that, you know, I, I asked him if he saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and, and spoiler alert, he didn't. <laughs> but but he also didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel once he was alive again. And it took a lot of time and effort to figure that out and resources. I, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that I think follow your passion is the world's worst advice. Following your passion is a wonderful goal to have. We all want to work on our passion. But it's not the roadmap. And what Josh needed to do is he needed to get beaten up by his passion a bit before he could figure it out. He needed to get down and get back up and, and get knocked down over and over again until he could figure out that his true passion was actually helping people understand what trauma is really about, what it is like to come back from war, but not just for him, for people who are dealing with opioid addiction, they're dealing with domestic abuse, they're dealing with poverty, they're dealing with um, natural disasters, like anybody who has gone through trauma and what it really means to not be defined by your scars, but to actually make them into your strengths. But it took him a good five years of incredibly difficult and dark moments that he describes as some of the hardest of his life. And this is a guy who had to relearn how to walk. So the stories that I tell throughout the book are there to help people understand that it's the people who make the left turns and the right turns and the U-turns who are actually the most interesting people and the ones who really do feel this, this overwhelming momentum that comes from living inside of their consonants. 
Oh, yes, absolutely, to be really aware and alive in our own life. Yeah, you know, think about when you were 16, 17, 18 years old. Somebody probably said, you need to pick a major, you need to pick a college, you need to pick a job path, you need to pick a career, you need to pick a trade, you need to, you need to decide, right? And so we do, and we decide who we're going to be in that moment based on what? Based on maybe a parent telling us what we need to do or maybe a teacher amusing, you know, offhandedly about something. When I was in fourth grade, a teacher told me that I was very argumentative and that I should become a lawyer, and I, you won't be surprised to hear that I disagreed with her. But <laughs> I still spent the next 15 years building a career path that got me to law school until I realized I had no interest in being there and I didn't want to be a lawyer and I made a huge mistake. But when we're 16, 17, 18 years old, hey, when we're even, you know, 20, 21, 22, 24, we don't have frontal lobes that are fully formed. You know, the frontal lobe, the part of your brain that helps make good decisions. And so we're forced to to pick a path early on that's going to put us, you know, on a road that may not be right for us once we figure out who we are. And so, you know, my passionate plea to people with this book, Limitless, is to stop doing that, is to stop listening to everybody else who's telling us what's going to make us happy and who we should be and what we must do, and to really decide for ourselves what that might mean. And so for lots of people, it may be making that left turn or that that right turn or that U-turn, or like Alison Levine, who I, who I uh, profile in the book, Alison Levine captained the, the first all-women's American expedition up Mount Everest, and she got just a few hundred feet from the very top of this, you know, 20,000-something uh, mountain when the weather turned, and she had to turn around. She had to make a decision in that moment, whether she continues to go all the way to the top and risk the lives of herself and her entire crew or turn around. And, and and for her, she had to define success as not getting to the very top, but getting back down alive. And these are the kinds of things, the stories, I think, that get us thinking and make us aware that you know, in the decision-making process that we might, uh, parents being sometimes uh, the assistant here and looking at what we do at college is, oh, here's a career that pays a lot. Go this way. And sometimes we're still so vulnerable that we just follow that path and end up somewhere where we're so unhappy. It's so true. I you know, I, I, I was joking around with my kids last week that they're the luckiest kids on earth because they have a mother who's basically written the book about how to ignore your parents and not listen to what they say. Um, so, you know, woe is me when it comes time to try to help them make a decision. But I think, you know, I think we do the best that we can given the information that we have. And I am definitely going to have opinions about what my kids should do. But I've changed careers four different times throughout, throughout my career. You know, I, I, I worked in politics very early on. I, I went into search. I became an entrepreneur. I ran my own company. I'm now in this career where I'm a writer, and, and, and I make my living speaking on stages, which is a crazy job. Um, and I think that it's because at every step of the way, I was able to say, what is important to me now, and how do I want to live, and what do I want my work to do? How do I want it to contribute to the life that I have? But it also takes a huge amount of, of knowing that, you know, failure is not finale. I speak a lot, as I mentioned, and I was giving a talk a few weeks ago in Austin, and I was talking about this idea that if we 
can see failure as something from which we can learn. And you're out in Seattle, and there's tons of entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, and startups out there. And in the startup community, we have this idea that you should fail, and you should fail often, and you should fail quickly, and that's how you learn. But for so many years, failure was seen as the end. It was seen as, you know, couldn't, you couldn't come back to it. And so a few weeks ago, I was, I was talking about this idea how that failure is not finale, but it's really fulcrum. And I turned... Uh, to the front row, and I see in the front row Commander Tim Copra, who went on not one, not two, but three spacewalks for NASA. And I, I'm looking at this crowd, and I'm giving my whole spiel, and then I turned around, and I was like, oh, except for you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> for the other 2,000 people in the room, failure is fulcrum. But for you, yes, it would most definitely have been finale. But I, I believe that while there is still breath in your body, you can do something different. You know, you get to the end of the road, there's always a choice that you can make. And so the stories that I tell in the book are stories of success, but they're also stories of failure because it's in the failure that we really learn what matters to us and what we care about and and, and what hills we're willing to die on. And that's why Limitless really helps us uh, to pay attention. I think it opens up a whole new vision for us of, just like that, of accepting failure, that that is totally a way that is along the path where it can be pointing us in the better direction for us to be going. So it's those kinds of awarenesses that I think are so critical and that you are bringing to us, Laura Gassner-Odding. Well, thank you. I think, you know, it is in the in the striving so hard to get to this one singular myopic unflinching definition of success as defined by everybody else around us that we become so limited. And it's in those limits that I think we lose ourselves. And so, you know, I what I want in this book to do is to encourage people to fail at living up to everybody else's idea of success, because I think in that failure, we make space for our own. And so I want people to, you know, to stop comparing themselves and to look at everybody else and decide, you know, who else is out there and what they think is success and really have those quiet moments and say, you know, maybe it's okay if I have, you know, two master's degrees, but what I really want to do is stay home and raise my children. Or maybe it's okay that I've got these two wonderful children, but really what I want to do is get away from them and go to work because I like doing that instead. Everybody's got opinions, and those opinions are not gray, right? They are black and white, and they're going to tell you exactly what they think is going to work for you because it's what either works for them or it's something that they're afraid of in their own life. And so, you know, take that moment. And so I, um, your listeners are probably thinking like, well, wow, where, where do I start? Um, I actually created a quiz um, online that's at LimitlessAssessment.com. And I'll say that again, um, LimitlessAssessment.com. And your listeners can go and they can take that. It takes about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, it's got about 60 questions and it walks uh, the, the respondent through questions um, about calling, connection, contribution, and control. And at the end of the quiz, you get this pretty little radar chart that has you know, two circles. One, how much of each of these things you currently have in your life, and then the other, how much of each of these you actually want in your life. And then it will give you specific tips on changes that you might want to make right now in order to get there. Because, you know, if we think about these calling, connection, contribution, and control, the elements of consonance, it's very difficult to say, well, I think I want this, I know I want that, I'm not really sure, but the questions that I ask in this quiz, I think really will help catalyze um, thinking, but also conversation among the people that you hold closest to you so that can help you sort of figure all of this out. So perfect. So many 
I'm going to use the word tools, but really ways to deal with this for our own life. The timing uh, would be perfect at any time, but I, I think this timing of the book just coming out, of taking this kind of assessment, and it's a way for the younger generation to look at it, but all of us at any generation to kind of see where we stand because we might not be feeling really in harmony with what we want in our life. Yeah, you know, it's my moonshot goal to have this book be required reading for every college freshman who's being asked to pick a major. Um, I don't know how to accomplish that, but, you know, I'm I'm putting that out there into the universe um, because I wish I had read this book. Somebody said, God, you know, I I wish I had this book 20 years ago. And I was like, I wish I had this book 20 years ago. I feel like I wrote this book because it was advice that I needed. And um, I'm actually going to, I haven't set it up yet, but I'm actually going to set something up on my website where people can write in and buy a book through my website and have me personalize it to their either, you know, graduating high school senior or college senior or even their college freshman. Because I think these tools that I give people, the framework that I give people is something that I didn't have. I wasn't able to make these decisions because I just didn't have the language to understand what I was feeling and where I was feeling constrained. And so I knew that I felt pressure to keep up with everybody, to do all the right things, to fill in all the checkboxes. And then once I got there, I was like, well, okay, the checkboxes are all full. Why do I still feel like there's something empty, something's missing? And the book is written to give people a language so that they can actually start having these conversations about it. So perfect. And let's mention the website because hopefully, no, no, we're going to trust you're going to accomplish that goal and get the books there and you can sign them for graduates and all of that. Uh, so uh, people can find me on all social at HeyLGO. That's like, hey there, HeyLGO.com. Very easy to find me. And uh, again, the, the quiz is at LimitlessAssessment.com. And the book, of course, is available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. If people reach out to me, if they've bought a book and they you know, want to send it to me and have me sign it, I'm happy to do that. Because I think if this book truly does feel like it's been written for everybody and that I'm speaking directly to them. I think having the power of having it personalized and really knowing that this is something that's meant for you, that empowers you, that gives you permission to make these really important and sometimes pretty scary decisions, I think it matters. Without question, a whole lot. I am so grateful to you, Laura Gassner Odding, for being with us and beyond that, of course, that you've written this book and you're um, passionate, obviously. Passion is coming in the right form at this point. Yes, it's uh, when I started speaking, I had a speaking coach and he was like, I don't, you know, like I read your book and I listen to you talk to me, you know, you know, as we're friends at parties, because then you get on stage and you're very stiff. He goes, I want to see your passion. (laughs) Now I got on stage and I'm so passionate and I just tell the story and people are like, oh my God, I really, I could feel how much you care about this. And that makes me want to do it because, you know, it's, it feels right because you believe in it. And I just, I had a friend of mine, a teammate, my rowing team, uh, send me a video a couple weeks ago about a tattoo that she had put on her arm that actually has the cover art on it. And oh. she, I profile her in my book, and she has a tattoo on her arm that says, I am limitless with this beautiful infinity sign that's from the book cover. And it just made me realize all the more that the words that we say matter and the messages we put out there matter. And I believe so deeply in the message of this book, and I'm, I'm so grateful to be here today and be able to share it with your audience. And I am just so grateful to having you with us and inspiring us. I do appreciate that. So many, many thanks for your work and for being with us. 
Thank you so much. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Laura Gassner Odding and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Buck Blodgett. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Click on the podcast tab, then Sunday mornings, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of leading with love all of the time. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.